looking at the text with us this morning. We're going to be at the end of Luke chapter 18. Luke's the third gospel, if you're uh, turning, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, we have been working our way through Luke for right at a year now. Um, and if you remember, kind of where we're at, Jesus has with resolve um, kind of turned his face towards Jerusalem, right? Knowing that the cross awaits him, that he is headed, and that he is moving towards that um, willingly, um, knowing the, the cost and the sacrifice that it would have um, for him, but the benefit that, that we would gain, right? And so last week we saw him interact with a rich ruler. Um, that interaction did not go well for the rich ruler who was unwilling um, to, to obey, to follow what Jesus was asking of him. And so this week we're going to pick up in verse 35 of chapter 18. And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front of him rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. We're going to stop there for the moment. And so the, the scene that we have before us now, right, is that Jesus, as he is headed towards Jerusalem, has continued to minister, to teach, to heal throughout this journey. In Jericho, he's somewhere around roughly 18 miles, give or take, out of Jerusalem. He is, he's getting near. And because it was so close to Jerusalem, you would have a lot of kind of religious uh, pilgrims, right, working their way either to Jerusalem or ha- having been in Jerusalem, working their way home. And so often what you would find is you would have um, those who are in need, you would have beggars that would be out on the, sh- on the roads outside of town, knowing there would be a lot of foot traffic, and they would be begging, um, hoping that the kind of the religious folks would have some, some gifts for them, right? Some alms, some money that would help sustain them and care for them. And so this gentleman is blind. He has had someone most likely take him out there. And now here he is asking, right, for, for money when he hears a commotion. And in the commotion, he begins to ask those who are around him, right, those who are maybe crippled or those who have other ailments, but that they could see what's going on. He begins to ask, what's, what's happening? Like, what's the commotion? I can tell something is going on. And they say, um, Jesus is coming. And in his enthusiasm, in his, in his desperation, in his hope, he begins to cry out, right? Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, and maybe even some of the other beggars and those who are around him, immediately turn to him and basically say, hey, shut up. Like, what are you doing? You're drawing attention. Like, you don't know. Be quiet. Look at, look at what it says. It says that they, when he cried out, those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he's crying out in desperation. And, and imagine this man in this, this moment. What does he have to lose? 
right? Like, he's already um, a beggar on the side of the road, dependent upon others. What does he have to lose? And we've already seen throughout Luke that kind of the societal norms are being pushed, right? That Jesus is meeting with those who aren't following kind of the cultural expectation. So we see that he's touching and healing and conversing with lepers, right? When that was something that you would not have imagined having happened. We saw in chapter 5, right, that the, the paralytic, the paralyzed man, right, they cut a hole in the roof and dropped their friend down in front of Jesus, right, interrupting the meeting. In chapter 8, we have a woman, right, who's, who's had been bleeding for years, find a way to get near Jesus in a crowd and touch Him. We see Jesus eating with sinners often. We have the woman in chapter 7, right, who is a woman um, of ill repute, right, who like, basically cries and, and breaks perfume over Jesus and then washes His feet with her hair. Right, that these moments are happening all throughout Luke where we see people desperate going, I don't know what else to do, but I, I want Him. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. It's interesting that he goes, in verse 38, he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. This phrase, Son of David, is he's basically saying, listen, there was the, the long-promised king, the one who would come in the line of David, who would reign forever and bring the kingdom to bear. What this man is saying is not just, hey, Jesus, maybe you can do something. He's saying, you are the one that we've anticipated. You are the one that we're hoping in. You are the one that we're longing for. We see him exhibiting faith and saying, please have mercy on me already. You remember in Luke 7, 22, after John the Baptist had been arrested, there was a, a moment where he begins to just kind of question, like, Jesus, are you the one that we were waiting for? And we see this. They, they, they send, John the Baptist sends messengers and says, Jesus, are you the one? And in verse 22, Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Right? We are seeing... Right, all the culmination of this happening throughout Luke, that Jesus is the Son of David, that He is the Son of God, that He is bringing forth the kingdom to bear, and these signs and wonders are occurring, right, to bring our attention to what's happening. And so, right, we have Him now interacting with this gentleman, and He, he hears Him crying out. He says, bring Him to me. And when he brings him to me, he, he just says, what is it that you want? I want my sight. And having yelled out, Son of David, have mercy. Jesus, have mercy. He receives what he asks for. And he says, listen, your, your faith, right, your belief that I am the one that you've anticipated, that, that, that I'm the one the nation has longed for, I'm the one that's bringing the kingdom to bear, I'm the one that's taking you back to the Father, that I am the one that we have been awaiting. Right? Your faith in that has made you well. And He gives him 
his sight. And I love that it just immediately says, right, that he, re- he regained his sight and immediately he followed him, right, glorifying God. And that the crowd, when they saw it, they're praising and giving worship to God. I think it's interesting for us to note, and, and we're not going to spend much time here, but there's been a lot of like talk of money in Luke, right? Just a lot of talk of money. And if you remember last week with the rich ruler who wa- walks away from Jesus rather than following him, right? That this gentleman, right, is poor and yet he's receptive. And so Luke basically is kind of summarizing with these stories back to back that, listen, there's a warning to the wealthy that it's really easy to miss Jesus. And that we see that the poor and the broken, physically, spiritually, emotionally, um, societally, like in any sort of cultural way, that they tend to be more receptive. And so the question for us might even be is, who's really blessed in this? Right? Like who's the one who is, is seeing Jesus rightly? And it tends to be those whose hope is not in this world. Right? That if you have been broken and beat down by this world, right? if you have not won in this world, then you're going, my hope isn't here, I need something else, and your eyes are on what is God going to do for us. Those who are succeeding and winning and having all these things tend to look at Jesus and see more of a nuisance, something that's going to disrupt the way their life is going. That might make things more difficult in their world. And we see them walking away sad. Just a note for us as we continue. We're going to pick up now with a second story that takes place in Jericho. So these stories are happening. Um, right, verse 35, we're told that it's as he drew near to Jericho, and now as we begin chapter 19, he has entered Jericho. And he enters Jericho, and he was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give it to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to, the, to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so we have this second short story that is, is just powerful. And, and so because of Jericho's proximity to Jerusalem, it was kind of a hub of tax collection. And we have this gentleman, Zacchaeus, who's not just a tax collector, he's over other tax collectors. Right? So not a loved gentleman. Because he is making money on behalf of a foreign government, on taking it from his own people. And so he is not someone that when it says, listen, he's small, right? So that's why he's small in stature, verse 3. But it was also, the crowd was not looking to say, hey, Zacchaeus, let's, let's make sure you find a spot. Although he it was a man of reputation and a man of stature and a man of wealth, 
where you would often think that would gain you some, some power. What's happening here is, hey, Zacchaeus, you can't see? Okay, I'm going to stand in front of you. Right? Like, we, we don't like you, Zacchaeus. You have robbed from us. You have stolen from us. You have taken more than you should have. And so Zacchaeus is looking. He's intrigued by Jesus who is coming through town, climbs up in a tree to see what's happening. And if you grew up in, in church, you were probably having a hard time not breaking out in song um, as you read that passage. Um, and I'm not going to sing it for you. So, um, about the wee little man. So, and you see, though, he's up in this tree watching, and Jesus stops. And he looks up. And it once again, right, just kind of the cultural norms of he sees this guy, and you can imagine that moment. He's just kind of hoping to watch the show. You're not really wanting attention drawn to the fact that you've climbed a tree as a grown man. Um, and he's up there, and he's like, hey, come down, because I'm staying at your house. And you can imagine the, the shock and the horror of the crowd of going, does Jesus know who this man is? He is unjust. Right? Like he, he is unfair, and he's going to go to this man's home. There might have even been a sense of like indignity of like, man, you're going to embolden Zacchaeus. He's going to be even worse on the other side because he's going to be like, Jesus is okay with what I do. Right? Like you can imagine the crowd just groaning, going, why him? Of all the people, why him? And yet he takes him home, and we have this beautiful scene where we don't get to see the, the, the message, we don't get to see all the interaction that Jesus and Zacchaeus are having, but we get to see his response. That after time with Jesus, he says, look, I'm giving back half of what I have. And if I've defrauded people, I'm going to pay them back extra, four times. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because He's the son of Abraham, saying it's not because He's a Jew, it's because He is acting in faith as Abraham did, in trusting, following, and obeying God, that He is a son of Abraham. And so what, what are these two stories that, that are happening most likely on, on the same day or within a day of each other, right on the outskirts of Jericho and into Jericho? Why, why together? Because these two stories together show us kind of a salvation response. Look, look initially, the first, the blind beggar, absolutely dependent. Jesus has already told us earlier in chapter 18 that, that who is the kingdom for but those who are dependent. Right? They don't bring anything to the table. They don't bring their morality or their merit or anything. They, they come needing Jesus. And we see someone literally living that out that is absolutely dependent and then they cry out for mercy to Jesus. And so what we see in salvation is this, is that there's a recognition of your need, of your lack, and then a recognition of who we're going to ask for help. That this man had a need, and he saw Jesus as the right one, the rescuer. And in that, in that simple frame of, I have a problem, I have a situation, I have a need, Jesus is the one to fix it, and I'm going to cry out and ask Him to do it. That Jesus takes us from the kingdom of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of light. Right? Remember, this is Colossians chapter 1. 
And he, Paul writes this, beginning in verse 12. We give thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so this blind, dependent individual now has sight, has been moved out of darkness and into light because he saw his need and he asked Jesus to meet it. That faith comes, that spiritual sight and physical sight came because he trusted Jesus. Darkness to light, blindness to sight. The second aspect of the salvation response isn't just a dependent, humble cry for mercy, but it's a response that is filled with joy and with action. Look, both in both stories, after meeting Jesus, both the blind man and Zacchaeus respond with joy and with action. Look at verse 43 of chapter 18. I know we're in two chapters here. So immediately he recovered his sight. And what did he do? He followed him, glorifying God. And the people around marveled, right? They were giving praise as well. And then if we go down to verse 8 in chapter 19. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give it to the poor. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Both of them, right, respond with action. This is... Um, Right, like, listen, we live in, a, in an area of the country where people often have said it's just having like a mental awareness of Jesus, like a level of mental affirmation, and it doesn't really change how you live. Just grab that fire insurance and you got Jesus, and that is not what Scripture teaches. Then in both of these, they meet Jesus and their life immediately changes, and they follow like there is action and activity to come after. Right, One is literally following Jesus, and the other one begins to change his behavior immediately because he has a transformed heart. Listen, we just last week saw the rich ruler. What a difference in experience. The rich ruler standing there hoping to be justified by Jesus. And what does it say? And when Jesus says, I want you to sell what you have and follow me, then he went away sad because he was extremely rich. How different of that, how different from that story is Zacchaeus going, what, what can I give? Jesus doesn't even necessarily, we don't know here, ask him to do it. But he's just saying, my heart is different. Jesus, I want you. What can I do? I think I need to make things right financially. In Leviticus 5, it tells us that really to be generous is to give 20%. And in, in Judaism, it would teach you don't give more than 20% in generosity, that just would not be prudent, right? Like, like you got to be wise, so be generous and then stop there. And here he is going 50. Half of what I've got, I'm just giving it away. Because Jesus, you're the treasure. And secondarily, he's saying, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give them four times what I defrauded. Like just an absolute action of repentance, of trust that Jesus is sufficient. So what we see is last week, right, the disciples see this rich man walk away, and they're like, um, Jesus, we thought he was blessed. 
Who can be saved if He can't be saved? And Jesus says, listen, extremely difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom, right? It's like a camel through an eye of a needle. It's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so what we see was that was with Zacchaeus is a rich man through the eye of a needle. Not because of his gifts, not because of his merit, not because of his actions with his money, but because Jesus saves him. And in his salvation, he is showing the, the money has a loosened, broken hold on him. How do we know that? Because he's given it away. And so for a man who was rich and who was used to taking from people, to immediately begin to hand it away, give it away to make things right, to admit fault in the first place, is, is huge. He is owning his sin and saying, Jesus, because you've come in my home, I know where I've fallen short. I've, I've been a thief, and I've abused power, and I've been unjust, and now I want to make it right because, Jesus, you have rescued me. That salvation is possible with Jesus. Listen, unlike the rich young ruler, he responds with joy and obedience to follow Jesus. Unlike the rich fool who hoards and says, I want to build up barns to hold all my stuff, Zacchaeus is just like, how can I give it away? It's not going to hold me anymore. Right? And unlike the rich man who ignored Lazarus earlier in Luke, we see Zacchaeus going, my actions have hurt others. And Jesus, I have you, and I've got to make it right. You have rescued me. I've got to make it right with them. I've got to do this. And so, listen, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us this beautiful passage that we often quote verses 8 and 9 and, and then stop. Listen, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Zacchaeus is literally experiencing this. And it's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Right, like We love it and we stop there often because it's a gift. We, we're not able to boast about it. But listen to verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, we often get the order wrong. And we say, okay, I'm going to do the good things so that it will get God's attention and He'll shine His beacon on me and save me. Right? But what Ephesians is telling us is that it's God who saves so that we can't boast. We don't do it. We don't earn it. We have no merit in it. But that God, for each of us, has prepared good works for us to walk in after we're saved. After we've received the free gift, the free mercy, after He has done what we could not do, He has done the impossible, and He has saved wretched sinners. Then we walk in faithful obedience. And so we see this literally playing out here with Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, you got nothing, but you have me now. And Zacchaeus goes, now I want to walk in a manner worthy of Jesus. And he begins to make things right. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are ambassadors, right? That we are image bearers of what God has done. Listen to this, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Zacchaeus is now in Christ. He's a new creation. 
The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what we find here is that Jesus saves us through no effort of our own and then makes us ambassadors to go out and to implore others to tell the story of what God has done so that that we can point them and say, He's the one who did it. You need Him. You don't need me. You need Him. Hear what He's done for me. And people then can begin to cry out like the beggar. Jesus, have mercy on me. I see my need, and I see my rescuer. Would you meet me in this? Would you pour out mercy on me? There is a power in a story. Imagine Zacchaeus now. All right, here's my list. People I've wronged. Here's how much I took from them. Four times that. And now he's knocking on doors. And there, no one's excited to see Zacchaeus. They're like, haven't you taken enough? And then he's handing money back. And you could imagine them going, this is a trap. Like, what, what, do you, what do you mean you're handing money back? Like, what are you doing? And Zacchaeus says, I met Jesus. And begins to apologize and own his sin and his struggle and begins to tell them of what Jesus has done for him. Like, what a powerful moment in, in that. Where he's like, I'm not who I once was. I'm a new creation. Jesus has changed me. How do, I, how do you know? Because... It would have been easy just to say, okay, from here on out, I will no longer steal from people. I'll only, right? He could have said, I'll just take what I'm supposed to take. I'll just do my job and I won't steal from anyone. And I'll tell them I'm sorry and they'll see that I'm changed. But he doesn't do that. He says, Jesus is the treasure. And if it means I lose half of all that I've got, I will do that because I want people to see that Jesus is the treasure. Folks, your story of how Jesus has met you is powerful. Whether you believe that is true this morning or not, Jesus has taken each of you who know Him this morning out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Right? And so there is power in that. Because there's unique idols, there were unique things that held you, there were unique unique things that kept you from Him, that, that folks who knew you before. And now they see you as a new creation. And you get to share that. And listen, here's the thing. Some of you right now are going, ah, I was saved at like a young age. I didn't really do any big bad sin. My story is boring. No, it's not. It is far easier to sin than it is not to sin. And if the Lord saved you at a young age, and you made it through junior high and high school and college, and you're now an adult, and you don't have baggage and scars from all of these bad decisions you made apart from Jesus, 
There is power in that because Jesus keeps us. And he, he says, listen, in the midst of all the turmoil and all the sin and all the ease of everything around you, I'm going to keep you. And you walked a path of light in the midst of darkness. That's a powerful story. And so whether it's that you were rescued from the domain of darkness, that you were fully aware that you were in, because you were living fully in it and glad to be, and Jesus opens your eyes and says, no longer are you blind, now you see, and now you're in the kingdom of light. And you're able to, like Zacchaeus, say, look at who I was and look at who I am. That's a powerful story. And if your story is, is that you were kept by Jesus through the midst of it all, that is a powerful story. Your story has power and merit because Jesus has saved you. And apart from Him, we have no hope. And none of us have brought anything to the table. None of us. We are utterly dependent, crying out for mercy for King Jesus to do what only He can do. But I want you to remember here that the crowd grumbled when they saw Jesus with Zacchaeus. Ah, Zacchaeus. There's a warning to us this morning. Listen, there are certain folks, like with a name that comes to your mind right now, or there are certain types of people that if you were to see Jesus save them, you would be like, ah, him? That we would grumble. Like what, what a warning to our own hearts here that we would think that we were more richly deserving of the salvation that cost Jesus his life than someone else. That Jesus saves those who are far from him, those who are near to him, that he rescues and he redeems. And listen, when the Lord saves those who are far, that then begin to walk like Zacchaeus in repentance and obedience, God's name is lifted high and it is glorified that He is able. We should long for God to do that. We should long for Him to save our children at a young age that they could avoid a lot of the difficulty that we walked in. And we would ask Him to save those who right now spit upon Him, hate Him, war against Him, so that they would be right a reason for us to glorify when God saves them. Right? Like, listen, it says the crowd glorified when they saw this blind beggar see. Would we glorify when the one who has been adamantly opposed to God now says, Jesus is my everything? That we wouldn't be skeptics, scoffing, going, ah, we'll see. And then we would say, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus does. That's what He does, is He rescues us and demonstrates His love at the cross when we were at our absolute worst. And the walls of Jericho come down and our sin right comes down he tears down literally what timing the dividing wall that rescues us that our sin put us in opposition to him and Jesus tears it down and he tears it down at the cross for his glory and for our good and so the gospel is offensive it's offensive because it saved you and it's offensive because it saved me and it's offensive because it saves others that we don't like. And it makes us family. Sons and daughters of the King belonging to, to one another and to Him with no merit and no right to any seat at the table and yet called sons and daughters because of King Jesus. 
Would you note his character as we wrap this up this morning? Jesus is headed literally to the cross. He's got some things on his mind. He's got pain and suffering coming. And often we think of Jesus even now as being too busy for us. I don't want to bother him. And yet what does he do? He shows compassion. He sees Zacchaeus. Walking through the city, he looks up and he sees him. Walking past outside Jericho, he hears the cries of a desperate man. Church, this morning, Jesus sees you and He hears you. He hears your cries for help, for mercy. And He sees you. Would we be reminded that that is His character, that He is compassionate, He is not too busy, and even with resolve to head to Jerusalem, He is stopping to say, how can I minister to you, this individual? He's seeing Zacchaeus and saying, yeah, I'm headed to Jerusalem, I'm staying the night. That He sees you, and He cares for you, and He's going to minister to you. And I want us to end with this, that this has been the character of God all along, all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, we can turn to Ezekiel, a strange book with strange imagery. But in chapter 34, beginning in verse 11, God says this, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on days of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and I will gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. And I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. And they will lie down in good grazing land. Psalm 23. And on rich pasture they will feed on the mountains of Israel. Why? Verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy and I will feed them in justice. The king is coming. Right? And they're seeing this here, this blind beggar who cannot see, sees more than the disciples right now. Sees more than the rich ruler right now. He's saying, the son of David is here. And these promises that he's gathering his sheep, God have mercy on me, would I be one of your sheep? And Jesus hears him and he meets him. And as he's walking through, he sees Zacchaeus, an enemy of his people, and he says, no, 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 you're mine. You're one of my sheep. The rich ruler walks away because he was strong and mighty. Would we heed the warning and see that the character of God has always been to seek and to bring back the lost sheep into the flock? We see that in Ezekiel 34. We see this here in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's like Jesus' vision statement here. What did I come to do? To bring back what belongs to me. Those who are lost and maybe don't even know it yet. And then, when He ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, He tells the church, and you keep seeking and saving the lost, right? Until I return. 
You are my image bearers. You are my ambassadors. You have received this. You go tell people how great it is and point them to me until I come back. And so what this means for us is that we go boldly because Jesus has defeated sin and Satan and the cross and He's alive today. So He is still at work and He is still saving and His Spirit is still going forth, still illuminating and making the blind see. He's saving. So we go boldly and willingly and obediently and expectantly that God is saving and that He will save the most hardened sinner because it brings Him glory. And He will save a child because it brings Him glory. And He will save you and I because it brings Him glory. And that we would be a people who would gladly join this mission following and obeying Jesus until He returns for us. This morning, if you... you know that there are things that have held your heart that you have not responded like Zacchaeus in, in obeying Jesus. We read this passage last week to start the service, and I want to read it to us to end this week. This is Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back to Jesus, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Jesus has been sent for us. Would we repent and find refreshment in Him this morning? That is for those of you this morning who don't know Him. Refreshment is available. Rescue is available. Cry out for mercy. And for those of you who do, and have maybe become a little bit numb to it or hardened to it, that you would find refreshing in Him as well. That we would walk in expectant obedience. Father, thank You that You have made so many of us in this room no longer spiritually blind, but You've given us eyes to see. We're no longer spiritually deaf. You've given us ears to hear. And You have taken us off a path that leads to destruction and put us on a path following You that leads to life and life eternal to be with You, to be with the Father. And Lord, that now You haven't left us alone. You've given us Your promises. You've given us Your Word that is alive. You've given us the Holy Spirit to comfort and to illuminate and to guide. And You've given us the church, one another, as we strive in obedience after You. God, in these moments, would You reveal in our hearts God, either an assurance that we have tasted and seen that You are good, we trust You, or if we haven't, Lord, that we would cry out for mercy knowing that You are faithful to give it. Lord, if You are revealing things in our hearts right now that we are holding on to, that we need it ripped, loosened, that You would do that even now, and that we would take steps of faithful obedience to show that no longer grips me, Jesus does. Lord, would none of us believe that this passage isn't for us? And would You speak? Your church is listening. In Jesus' name, Amen.